You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Dan Bayer's interview with the editor for the Broken Hearts Gallery, Sean Paper. Lucy, do you think you want to try getting out of bed today? We're getting smell complaints from the city. Have you just been masturbating and braiding your hair for three weeks? My vibrator will never break my heart. Well, it will break your vagina. Lucy, listen, we're in completely different places. You need to get a grip. He's with someone else now. How do you get over someone? What? Why are you I, getting into my car? Co- what are you doing? Lift, silver Prius. Adolfo, I have had the worst night of my life. This isn't a lift. This is my car. Hello? I'm sorry. No, I'll cancel. You're not Adolfo? Who are you? My name is Nick. Okay. Good night. Thanks. You can't have a good relationship because you're constantly mourning the old one. You keep something from every relationship. At least get rid of the ex memorabilia. Lucy. Rodolfo Nick. You just magically show up everywhere. Are you my stalker? You just hit her? No. Oh my God. The car was just pregame. This is where you actually murder me. I'm turning it into a boutique hotel. We're never alone. Do you see this tie? It's the only thing I have left from my last relationship. Why don't you leave it here? A nail, perfectly placed. So look at that. It's like art in a gallery. I can help with the hotel in exchange for gallery no, space. Of course, we could use the help. You start tomorrow. Get us the coffee. Nothing with actual dairy. He gets really sensitive in his tummy. I hate both of you. It's like the Lucy. Nick? Can I come in? How did you get in here? Your roommates. I want to show you something. And you are not wearing any pants. <sighs> Those bitches. This map was here this morning? Yep. This is amazing. There are broken people out there like me. People who need to let go and move on. Is this the heartbreak thing? You're in the right place. Welcome. Are you ready to hand it over? It has an odor. Oh. We're in business, baby. Love makes you do crazy, stupid, irrational things. Remember me? What's this guy doing here? Guys. Welcome to the Broken Heart Gallery. Heartbreak is the loneliest feeling in the world, and the truth is, it happens to us all. I think you should put your penis in his vagina. Oh, I should put my penis in his vagina. Hello and welcome everybody to the Next Best Picture podcast, where we are interviewing Sean Paper, the editor of the new film, The Broken Hearts Gallery. Sean, good to hear your voice. How are you doing out there in LA? Oh, we're we're uh, a couple of months behind you guys. It feels like we're in a time machine, but uh, uh, you know, we we see. Uh, Hopefully there's a light at the end of this tunnel. The sun is shining, but we're stuck indoors. <laughs> it's time to get out. Yes, it's time to wake up and get out. I feel that. It, which actually <laughs> brings me to the first question that I was going to ask you is, when were you actually working on editing this film? Was it during the pandemic or was it before? Luckily, we finished this before and uh, uh, nice. we started it last uh, summer, um, this time last summer, I was in Toronto for five glorious weeks in a, a beautiful city ah, nice. uh, working alongside uh, principal photography. So I took the um, uh, the streetcar to work every day, which is so if you're from Los Angeles, doing anything besides being stuck in your car is just a boon. It's something that, um, that, you know, where the stars have aligned and allowed us to have like a real life outside of, um, 
you know, the four walls of the, uh, and a windshield. Nice. <laughs> so we had this wonderful five weeks up there. And then, uh, uh, we brought the film back to Los Angeles and they shot some exterior, um, scenes, uh, key scenes in New York. Mm. And we finished it. Actually, our last screening happened the first of March. Oh, just before. Just before. And we had this wonderful, amazing audience. And, and we're so excited by how the film was received by, um, you know, a live studio audience. So we, mm-hmm. and we walked away kind of shell-shocked because we kind of felt that this was you know this this was the beginning of something but we couldn't activate it we couldn't act, actualize mm. it because who knew what was um, how releases were going to be going we you know and we but we're getting there i think uh, yeah. you know now the tenets got um, <laughs> a release date for the fifth time yeah yeah <laughs> but uh i don't know there's it, it's it's not that we don't have enough product but this, this was a fun film to work on and and I, I can't wait for people to go out and see it. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that it was a fun film to work on because I think that definitely transfers to the movie itself. It's a delightful movie to watch and very fun. And and I can see this, you know, being something that people, you know, would enjoy watching with a crowd, with their friends, with family, with and however they watch it. What you know, if it's in theaters, yes. if it's online via you know party chat or whatever. Like, I think it's definitely going to find its its audience that way. And it's interesting to hear that you're working on the editing alongside principal photography, not after everything had wrapped. Um, I know that in the past you've done a mostly TV work, although there were a few films um, strung along in there. Yes. I guess how how does how is this? Pro- the process of doing this on a movie different from uh, the work of editing a TV show, which I imagine, like, in some cases, probably has to happen a lot faster because there's a quicker turnaround time in some of those cases. Indeed. When you're up against air dates, uh, especially if you're doing a show that is going to go for a whole 22 episode season, that's a marathon every, and you got to kind of, you know, eat your Wheaties and, and get in shape <laughs> before the season starts, because you know that once you start, you're going to, you've got 10 months to, you know, overlap, you know, you're, you're an editor's cut of one episode and a director's cut of another and polishing, you're doing the network pass on, on a third show and that uh, rinse, recycle, repeat mm. until you get to the end of the season. And that has its, um, its daily dose of of getting you know creative fulfillment because you're you can't have a bad day yeah. <laughs> in the cutting room you just have to you you, you know keep producing you got to do uh, you know the the work is there in front of you and uh, i think this film we didn't have a long post schedule mm. and i i've had the luxury of being on longer post schedules and um, i find that the pace of this was similar to cutting a television pilot where hmm. you have, uh, but on steroids. On, in, a telephone, in a television pilot, you maybe have five weeks from the first day of shooting to lock it and pitch it and sell it to 
the into the network and it, there's milestones that you have to you know hurdle out of whole cloth mm. you know you have to make the build the machine and this to uh, whereas an, on a you know on the marathon of a of a television series you're the paradigm is set and you know you know which boxes you have to check and mm. you know the uh, the um you know the style of music and the main characters um or the actors' idiosyncrasies, mm. which which you um, either exploit or uh, or cut around, you yeah. know, to to you know whatever it is. But um, this had the energy of of a pilot, where it uh, where we we did have um, an accelerated post schedule on it, and uh, and I think that the film, my, my experience having done television pilots, I think are able to translate well into this particular um the f- skill sets needed to make this film work mm-hmm. you <laughs> talked about a lot of different things in there and one of those things being you're like when you're working on a tv show for a while you know the the rhythm to the show and you know the style of music and all those sorts of things and as with i think a lot of romantic comedies like broken hearts gallery is music is a very key component to the finished film and when you're when you were doing a lot of your work simultaneously to the uh production being shot did you have a lot of that music in advance or was that part were those scenes that were music heavy were those part of the work that you were doing post-production well we had a wonderful music supervisor named Melanie Mitchell, and she had given us a playlist of of songs that she dug. And I think we had a conversation early on with her and, uh, and uh, Natalie Krinsky, mm-hmm. the director, and Geraldine Viswanathan. Get we we talked about the voice of Geraldine having, or her character Lucy, being represented by some fierce female tracks and artists so several scenes were um melanie melanie helped us grab there's a karaoke scene for yes instance, and she she helped us grab um which is a, such a fun scene to get yeah. because there's you know I, I think if you look at any television series that you work on for a, a period of time you're always going to cut a a, a karaoke scene there's going to have to be some scene that's in a karaoke <laughs> and i've cut I've cut my fair share of karaoke um, <laughs> scenes, but this one, I think, uh, this 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 karaoke scene rivaled the the scene that I cut in Girls, where she, oh yeah, the, the Icona Pop track that I put in That's there, a good one. like that was was a classic karaoke um, or singing along with music, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and this one was great because we really started to see how the characters really all loved each other in that yes. moment. You know, and we also had amazing actresses like Philippa Sue from Hamilton yeah. playing, um, you know, her, 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 one of her besties who, you know, she's singing a song in there, so it's not going to suck. <laughs> Indeed. It was a lot of, so this was one of my favorite karaoke scenes to cut. And so this, so the music there, uh, Melanie Mitchell did find along with, um, with, uh, you know, Natalie's idea of, um, the song that Lucy and Nick sing together. But there are moments that 
we've kind of crystallized around like the, for instance there's this mitski track at, at the end that mm. uh is this really bleak song but it's sort of anthemic in its triumphant individual female um uh overcoming mm. her her own uh hardships moment that we always wanted there from the beginning like i played it against this scene i don't remember they fall back on the bed and we pull back and they you see that that uh she's really just come into her own yeah at uh, near the end of the film this was a track that uh, my a teenage daughter listened to last summer uh, obsessively and oh, wow. and i and i heard it in the background i'm like this is really cool and i played it for and natalie and, and geraldine every uh and and melanie all thought it was mm-hmm. fantastic and some of the male producers came in they said i don't know if this is hitting the the right buttons that we want at the moment. <laughs> this seems like like the lyrics seem really dark. And and we said, look, if if my teenage daughter um, has, has you know in, who who's got the, her finger on the pulse <laughs> of you know the zeitgeist of this Gen X you know feminine singer songwriters, mm-hmm. this is this th- we got to use this. And this, and this uh, this particular producer was he was resistant for a while. And the screening that I, I told you about the last mm-hmm. screening we had just before everything went down, we heard an audible gasp in the audience when when that and, and a couple of other yeah. songs played. And I thought, OK, we I, I think we we are on the right path. This is this is this is hitting, you know, and and tracks like Billie Eilish mm. and uh, Betty Who. There's we yeah. we had uh, we found some really fun songs that I think speak to the voice of the film and also to um, you know to uh, to a Gen Z audience. Which um, uh, you know, having done that for um, on shows like Girls, mm-hmm. this was fun to do for like the next generation that, that was a millennial show this is a gen z, yeah. z story which um really had uh I, I it allowed me to play in that sandbox for a while and that was a lot of fun to do yeah that that, that betty who track in the in the opening of the movie is a really it's a really strong opening and, and it conjures such a great voice for jordine viswanthan's character Almost before we even meet her, it, it was a perfect. It was a perfect song. Uh, Melanie found. Put, we we asked for songs that kind of related to. I said, "Give me all the songs that that are coming out that have to do with mm, memory." Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and and this was one of them that felt like that I, I put in the opening from the beginning from my first. Um, editor's cut mm-hmm. and uh that stayed in for uh for the whole um you know it, it never left the building i mean it all it left the building with the with the with the, the movie yeah um so it's it, it was good <laughs> is that the way that you usually tend to work where you have sort of you edit a scene and then you find music that fits with it or is it ever the other way around where you have a track that um, you know, you want to use, or the director or music supervisor wants to use at certain points, and you cut specifically to that track. Well, I think it it kind of goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Once we z- zeroed in on 
uh, this track, the the titles hadn't been done yet. Mm. We didn't really have a sequence. So um, until we got into the production footage, that's at the end of the um, end title song. Okay. So we knew we wanted to have the song, and we just sort of uh, we timed the shots to go with the with the music in in that instance and so the 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 featured songs that seem to feel like they own the moment Mm. rather than support the moment i think we reverse engineer the scene to to make sure that it's hitting at the points that we want it to in the song and then the the songs that are um aren't front and center are the ones that um cut that you know that they follow picture so the scene is is on top yeah in the pecking order in that those instances yeah that makes sense there are <laughs> quite a few montages in this film <laughs> which is always i imagine <laughs> maybe not one of the hardest things to do as an editor but certainly one of the most time-consuming things to do as an editor and it's interesting you know like to think about how much footage you receive that you have to cut down and also thinking about like how much of that is you as the editor really shaping that scene versus how much of it especially if there's dialogue involved is in the screenplay and you're just, you know, sort of like massaging it a little bit. Well, it, uh, it depends on how well it works. Yeah. Okay. If, if it was, <laughs> if it was successful, if you, if you, you found it to be um, supportive and, and, and organic to the flow of the, the, the piece, I, you know, we, it, uh, I wouldn't say that all the montages were, designed to be montages mm. you know in, in this in cinema real time you do have to get through certain beats and sometimes these yeah and, and in rom-com you have to um you know follow certain rules of how how the love story evolves yeah. and you may not have to witness all those beats or witness all those beats in screen real time so we uh, we did collapse through narrative compression the course of the journey of of Geraldine and Dacre's mm. connection. Uh, so there are points where we did have to you know, take take four scenes and find a way to intercut them and juxtapose them just uh, just right to get the information that needed to be done and move along through the story in forty seconds as opposed to five minutes. Mm. And there's one point actually where the the gallery starts to be built, yes. and that had about eight different scenes in it. The gallery's being built, um, the hotel is being built, and their their connections getting is growing, mm-hmm. and and how the satellite characters are, uh, weave in and out of this, uh, along with the um, another element that's in the film, which is this confessional style interstitial that that um that is part of yeah. the gallery right so uh that was that particular montage was tricky because i couldn't find a piece of music that would hit all those beats and connect all of hmm. that together 
you know, in my whole arsenal of, you know, of temp music, I wasn't able to find something that could satisfy what this, that moment needed to be. Um, and we knew it needed to be a montage. So we mm. gave that to several different composers who we were uh, interviewing at the time and said, would you mind uh, auditioning with putting a piece of music underneath this very particular mm-hmm. and challenging um, montage. And smart. We and Genevieve Vincent came back with this amazing piece that became, you know, the the uh, sonic voice of of the film. Oh wow, that's very cool. Uh, and she knocked it out of the ballpark. It was it was this beautiful. It was it moved along without overbearing this. Uh, uh, um, the scene and it seemed like it was still in the voice of this feminist vibe it seemed like it was uh lucy's voice and uh and it was poppy yet emotional and evocative so all of these things all came into this one particular montage mm. that it, it had it had to be written to yeah. um so the score of that particular moment i thought was just indicative of where the emotion of the music ought to be. Mm. Well, and that's too, like, that's a great example of like, you know, like how a team really collaborates on a film and how like, you you know, you come up with your edit of a scene and something is missing or it's not working. You can't find that magic thing that makes it click and composer comes in and, you know, lays down something that makes it all work and oh yeah i think that's yes. one of those magic things about film <laughs> as an art form absolutely 100 percent agree that that um it's such a collaborative art form and the more collaborative you uh, each participant in is in it and the, um i think the better the chances of it being a good product mm-hmm. or a good story yeah. is uh, where where all the cylinders are firing, regardless of the number of montages that are. In the film, <laughs> are uh, I hope you did. You're not saying that as it's a bad. No, thing. no, 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 not at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, just just the, the yeah montages can be particularly challenging because you know unless it's specifically written, you you are uh, an editor is probably at the helm trying throwing you know doing jackson pollock yeah at the uh, you know at the screen and hoping that it you know once we step back it makes sense yeah yeah so there yeah the, so there are those moments but um you're you're, you're right it, it's great when you know you, you you've got your your co-collaborators all sort of moving and marching and towards something greater than the sum of their parts. Yeah. And, you know, you're working with uh, Natalie Krinsky, the writer and director. This is her first feature film uh, that she's writing and directing. And what, what was that collaboration like? And you both have more of a TV background than film. So uh, she's, uh, you wouldn't, I would never have thought that she was a a first time director. Mm. She was so prepared and she also, uh, ran a, a very fair set so it seemed that she knew what she was doing she super smart and very funny mm. and um i think we developed a rapport very shortly on in as i described before being next to set or i would i'd be cutting uh downtown toronto and i'd take the uh streetcar to wherever they were shooting and i would 
show her the scenes that I had worked on earlier on my iPhone. And we, we, while everybody else was, um, you know, setting up another shot, hmm. we would go hide in this, there was actually filmed in a YMCA. And, you know, and the story is that there's a, uh, Nick has bought a YMCA and is converting it into a hotel. So they were actually building it as they were shooting. Oh, wow. So she and I would go to uh, a back staircase and, and, and I would share the scenes with her that I had kept the previous <laughs> day on, on an iPhone. And we'd be, you know, laughing about it. And uh, much to the chagrin of, of the other producers who, were, who heard us laughing, they're like, can I see? Can I see? And she said, no, no, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Not till my director's cut is too big. She, so she and I, from the beginning, we were able to, you know, look at the performances and the work that she was doing, and have this synergy between real-time synergy between production and mm-hmm. post-production that allowed us to, to, you know, if there was a scene that needed to be augmented or we needed a little bit more info before they wrapped. I would show her the scene and we would talk about it. Mm. So I, I think that that kind of connection is really lucky for uh, an editor to have yeah. because it makes sure that, you know, that we're simpatico, that we're on the same page about what we, what, you know, both in, in our tastes, what we find funny, what we're, what, what is, what moves us. Mm. So we were able to have that natural rapport early on. Although the one thing that I did tell her was she was really uh, apprehensive about seeing the first assembly. Mm. I totally get that because as not just a film uh, first time director, but anytime somebody sees, you know, who, who, who is aware of the backstory of the, you know, the long day on day seven that, you know, that we went, um, you know, four hours overtime <laughs> and I didn't get the shots that I wanted. You know, there, there there's all the, the emotion of, of giving birth and seeing what the baby looks right. like that is, um, that can, you know, unnerve first, you know, any director. And so I did say to her, look, the first time you see this, it's going to be the hardest time to watch this film, but, but let be forewarned that you've got a good film here. I know it's good. And once you get out of the mindset of what you could have done or what you, you know, the, whatever the trials and tribulations may have Mm. that led us to where we are now or, or have there also opportunities to have given us creative solutions to something that may not have um, meant to have happened on the set. So you, she'll, you're, you'll, you'll be in for a couple of surprises, but <laughs> after that, we'll, we will, you know, have your director's cut and, and we'll work through it. So she was pretty apprehensive the first time she sat down. And then at the end of the, uh, when, when we got through the first screening together, she said, Oh, I'm so relieved. <laughs> it works. I said, yes, that's right. I think that's that's the the one challenge I believe that that um, directors have is that that first that first screening. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it all it that it worked well, and obviously the film is this film, as I said before, you know, is a delight, and I'm I'm really glad that you know 
all that hard work came out into something into something good. I'm so glad that you yeah. like it. It's uh, so. So, are you a rom com fan? <laughs> film fan in particular. I I am a film fan in general and do love yeah. my fair share of rom coms as well. <laughs> good. Good. Well, uh, you know, this yeah. is. I think that this story is more than just a rom com. I mean, um, you know, it's also a buddy film, and it's a, uh, it's 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 also about independent women. And I think that one of the reasons that this is successful is because so well cast and um, and played by the supporting cast. I think Molly Gordon and. Uh, Bernadette Peters yes. all brought so much to this that made us real and and uh, Ego Nuadim, um, you know, stand like these amazing performers that just stand out. Uh, I don't know if we were talking about this or I heard this on your last podcast, but we're talking there was a, about idiosyncratic characters who are you know the supporting cast that that just stick out because yeah. of their their lines um, and. Uh, the, I think, you know, there are no small parts. There's small mm-hmm. actors, as Stanislavski said. Yeah. I think that these people, none of these people were small actors. Mm. No, they each make their impact. Yeah. Yes, they're they're all kind of in this world, inhabiting this world. And, and I, I like, I, I believe them. I believe this world. And uh, I think, you know, as an editor, I have to fall in love with the stories and and I have to work it so that I get to the point where I believe it. And when I've won myself over, then I know that the film is working. And I think that, uh, you know, this happened, it happened early on on this one. Oh, wow. I, I think that's really great to hear. And of course, like, yeah, that's key. I think you have to trust yourself and your own judgment. And when you, if you can win yourself over, like you said, like, especially when you're so, when you're so in it, yeah, you know, when you can bring yourself over and say, yeah, it works for me, then I think, you know, you've done a good job. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap up, um, I know Hollywood is in a weird place right now, but are you working on anything currently? What 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 is next up for you? Well, next up for me is uh, a show for Netflix that's directed by uh, Jim Mickle. It's a TV series called Sweet Tooth, mm. uh, brought to you by Team Downey and the talents of Jim Mickle. Uh, it's a DC comic story uh about uh post-apocalyptic world that is that has some hope to it so uh, i was really uh, uh drawn to the pilot and uh and and some smart filmmakers so we're uh they're planning on shooting starting production the beginning of september so knock on wood that's uh, and they're shooting in in uh new zealand ah well we do well <laughs> they're doing pretty well over there <laughs> a they're doing really well over there and b I, I i thought i said you you really you need to have editorial close to production don't you he said i don't think we're gonna do it on this one <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it would have been so much fun to go to New Zealand, but uh, I think it's a good crew and a, and uh, a good story. So I'm really excited to do that. Yeah, well, we'll be on the lookout, looking forward to seeing it. 
Um, and good best of luck to you in as that goes forward. Thank you. Well, if you if you feel like reviewing uh, um, the <laughs> television series when it when it comes out, I'll I'll let you know. <laughs> I will be on the lookout. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Dan Bear's interview with the editor for the Broken Hearts Gallery, Sean Paper, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. The Broken Hearts Gallery will be opening in theaters on September 11th. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Would you go in on over at Patreon? For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time.